Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Mordecai, and welcome to another episode of the Focal Point Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Mr. Kevin Ellis. Uh, Kevin started his career with PwC in 1984 in Assurance. He then moved to Business Recovery Services, becoming partner in 1996 and head of the division 10 years later. In 2008, he joined the executive board as head of advisory and then became PwC's managing partner in 2012. He is now chairman and senior partner of PwC UK and Middle East Alliance. So, hello, Kevin. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Nice to see you, Mordecai. Thank you. So, uh, to start, I think it'd be best to to give everyone a little bit of a, an overview about what your role uh, entails from a day-to-day basis. So, so how does the typical day look like for you? Well, first, I'll start with the role, and then I'll go to typical day. There isn't really a typical day, I suppose. Um, it's an interesting role. We've got in the UK and Middle East about 1,100, 1,200 partners. And this role is an elected role with a kind of hustings, manifesto, secret ballot and the like. So it's an interesting role. So not only am I a kind of chairman and senior partner, but I've been voted as the leader by the partners, which gives you a kind of sense of both responsibility, but also that feeling that they're behind you. And when you are elected to this role, because the size of the UK in our network, PwC is a network of firms around 153 territories of the world, you kind of get two free jobs. So I'm responsible, as well as being for the UK and Middle East, which is my kind of voted in responsibility, I'm also responsible for EMEA, from a leadership point of view, and I sit on the kind of the global leadership team, which is called the network leadership team, Mm -hmm. and we set the strategy for the whole network. So for example, today, I'm spending a lot of the day in front of what we call the global board, which is a group of global partners that have been voted in by their territories to oversee the global strategy that's overseen by that network leadership team. I'll also meet with a number of clients and then a number of internal meetings with members of staff or people in my business. That's mm-hmm. kind of an Every day is different because it depends on what's going on both in our firm but also the world. So a lot of conversation at the moment around Brexit, for example, and obviously COVID mm-hmm. and the consequences of the business world at the end of the day we exist to support our clients and therefore what's going on for our clients matters to us yeah so um, I, I read an article about a month ago talking about what what pwc has done in terms of coordinating their their strategy and and coordinating with their employees uh, i think it was in um, the uh, evening standard uh, talking about the efforts that pwc has done to kind of control or at least help their their employees with mental help. So at least to outsiders and to me, it seems that PwC is a company that that cares for its employees and is a great place to work. So, you know, that being said, what do you enjoy about working for PwC most specifically? Um, I think for me, it's the variety. Whether it's doing this job, all the other jobs I've had during my time here. And the fact that I'm surrounded by people that are equally ambitious but also equally willing to learn and support you, you touch on the mental health thing i mean that's really interesting as well because i do a lot of q a with staff partners clients and the like and having done them over a number of years you now hear questions that you wouldn't have heard say 10 years ago which is kind of a reflection of how fashion has changed and probably for me in the last two years i've had two questions in big forums which i genuinely don't think i'd have heard 10 years before and one of them was around mental health, which was along the lines of, what are you doing regarding mental health? What was interesting to me was that I don't think a person on their very first day at work five or ten years ago would have asked the chairman 
along sitting alongside 599 of their peers also on their first day at work about mental health because they'd be worried about what it said about them mm-hmm. so i think that the world has changed and therefore it's the right thing to do for our people but more importantly they expect it and if you want to retain and recruit and develop top talent then you, you have to make sure that this is the right place for them to work and them to feel supported one i think one of the biggest transformation things we've done on mental health is we've got a number of really successful partners speaking about about their own personal mental health journey the struggles mm-hmm. they've suffered from and how they've come through it and been successful because i think that destigmatizes it and that's the most important thing we can do as an employer or part of society is destigmatizing mental health so people seek support and are better in their jobs and their life because of it and so uh- Kind of a, a question that, that follows up on this unique challenge of, of mental health that has been kind of posed by the, the pandemic. You worked in, in the restructuring division um, during some of the most catastrophic crises to date. So, you know, 2008, um, LTCM and, and the dot-com boom. And now we are experiencing the, the effects of the COVID-19 crisis. So you, you touched on this a little bit with the, the mental health apps, um, but how do these challenges manifest itself from from your perspective when you are at a senior position trying to to coordinate and and to i guess um survive or build a strategy to to overcome such a setback yeah i think i think if you're running any kind of business um in challenging times whether it's 2008 or 2016 following the referendum brexit referendum you can't be too distracted from your strategy you have a strategy and that strategy is to deal with whatever economic cycle you're in. So if you completely rewrite your strategy every time the economic cycle changes, that doesn't build confidence, nor does it build momentum. So I think as a leader, you've kind of got to have a strategy that can cope with the economic cycles. I think the other factor, challenge with this pandemic, is there's no playbook. I mean, it's complete uncertainty. And we'll come on talking about auditing a firm in the times of complete uncertainty, which Mm -hmm. is obviously a large part of my business. But I think as a leader, you've kind of got to be a dealer in hope because if you spend the time saying what even how disastrous it is, you'll never create the inspiration or the aspiration to solve problems for clients or support each other. So this pandemic where there's been no playbook, the most important thing we've had to do is lay out for our staff what they can be confident about, their jobs, their promotions, their opportunities the business they work for. I can't solve for their risk of cash in the pandemic, which in March and April was a major concern of everybody. I can't solve for their impact on their families of the pandemic, but I can solve for that. Because what people do in times of uncertainty is they catastrophize everything. And it brings it all in on them, which goes back to the mental health. So I think as leaders, what we were very clear about as a business, and that dealer in hope, is to say, look, your job's safe. We're not gonna furlough anyone. If we've given you a job offer, the 3,000 people we've given job offers to over the course of the pandemic, those job offers will be honoured and on time. You will join the firm when we said you would. You might be joining remotely. It will be very different, but we will make it work for you as best we can because this is a moment in time. Yes, it's affected lots of things. Yes, it's leveraged up a lot of economies. Yes, there's more big government, but it's still a moment in time. We will come through it. Uh, There will be opportunities because of it. And actually, a lot of businesses have done quite well during it in spite of what you read. Mm-hmm. And I, I think in your answer, you touched on, I guess, the challenges of auditing during 
these this unconventional time. Um, and I guess that also touches on an article in the Financial Times. Um, for those interested, it's called uh, PwC Boss Warns Auditing is Harder Than Ever During the Pandemic. It seems that, you know, because there's no face-to-face uh, contact, that building relationships and, and building this bilateral trust is, is a lot harder. Um, so could you give us some insight into the importance of bilateral trust in, in the business of auditing? And, you know, how have you been building that during, you know, the pandemic when these relationships are much harder to make uh, online? Yeah, I'll do it in two halves. That's okay with you, Mordegar. I mean, firstly, audit- auditing is about assessing uh, uh, whether the accounts are true and fair. They're not mm-hmm. about saying they're right. Uh, and those accounts are for the benefit of the stakeholders, not the management, yeah, in the first instance. So that is kind of really important. And everyone knows that certainty is harder to come by. What's happening in the next 12 months, if you're auditing a cinema chain, when are people going to return to the cinema? I mean, you know, there's, you know, in addition to that, so you've got that kind of, the need for a multidisciplinary firm. So what's really interesting is say 30% on average of all the hours we do on audit are not done by auditors. They're done by other experts bringing their knowledge to make the audit higher quality. And that's never been more important than during the pandemic. Because if you're auditing a retail store, you need to know what plan B will be. You also need to know what if. If the pandemic goes on for two years and the vaccine isn't found and no one comes back to the shops, what happens? So you need the insight from someone from my old world of restructuring and insolvency. So they can say, well, if that happens, that's what will happen. So you need to be confident that isn't going to happen. There's enough money to keep the balance sheet through, pay the wages, et cetera, et cetera. So the multidisciplinary firm has never been more important than in times of pure uncertainty. The second overlay to that is if you're doing that audit virtually, how do you do the stock take? Mm-hmm. You know, can you go out there and say they've got 10 widgets? Because if you're looking down a screen like I'm looking at you now, they could move the camera, couldn't they? They can move the camera mm-hmm. over there and those ten widgets, those five widgets could be counted twice. Yeah? So we've had to adapt the way we do audit in a virtual world. Now, hopefully at the year end, with COVID safety, two-meter rules, face masks, et cetera, et cetera, you can go on site at audits. You couldn't in March year end. A lot of audits of hospitals and so on were really hard to do. We actually did a gold bullion stock take using remote circuit TV. Well, we oh, had wow. cameras in certain places. So, so you've had to adapt. So in addition to the pure uncertainty of what's going to happen next to the economy and the world and society, which is one risk of audit, you've got the other risk of the actual practicality of doing the audit and inventing new ways of getting around remote working. The second point is about that network. I think that's really important for young people, particularly kind of the cohort probably looking at this, is that the older you are in business, whatever you're doing, you've probably got a more established network. Over the years, you meet more people. Obviously, you work with more people. You kind of build up a bigger network. So at my stage in my career, I've probably got a bigger network than, say, someone at your stage of your career. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, doesn't it? And therefore, working bilaterally or working virtually, I can make contact with someone I already know because I've already met with them, worked with them over years, and it's easy to pick up where I left off. It's much, much, much harder for the next generation because you haven't got that relationship. So creating a relationship from trust virtually is much harder. Not impossible, but much harder. So therefore, the very people that have got the challenge of the liability that the government had to invest in supporting the economy are those that probably got the biggest challenges in terms of building networks in a virtual world. So that's one of the other reasons that we, re- we were really keen as a business to reopen our offices as soon as possible and give people the opportunity of coming back together 
not only from the mental health point of view, which is really important, but also the ability to observe how business is done, to look at their peers, to look at their bosses, look around and see how things are done. So they're learning all the time. And at the same time, also build their networks. And so again, I think it's really important, and we've been very clear about this through the pandemic, is to remind people what they're missing. Because the danger is, because people are fearful, and I understand why, because the pandemic has killed a lot of people, but they're fearful of leaving their houses, going back to the office. Uh, the danger with that is, I think, for some people who could and safely do it in a COVID-safe way, they're missing out on the opportunity that they don't know exist. I, I know it exists, I can see it, and I can see the importance of networking for my career. And that's, I think, a really important thing. People do need to understand that getting back out there into offices, meeting clients, meeting staff, and not only about learning, it's also about building relationships and finding different ways to build relationships. And that's really important. And therefore, the office has got a major role to play. We can't live our lives and work, build our careers totally virtually. And I guess, um, you know, t- touching on the, the stay-at-home orders, I, I feel like we have been seeing acceleration in digitization of services um, entertainment, et cetera, uh, where in some cases, you know, five years of digitization are being sped up to, to two months. Um, so in terms of, you know, PWC's uh, services and advisory, do you think that, or have you seen an increased demand for your digital business transformation consulting? Um, and do you think that this is something that is going to persist in the long run or that it is just temporary due to the challenges of the crisis? No, I think we were, as a business, had 10% of our people working from home before March. Obviously, it went to 100% overnight. It's probably accelerated that to, say, 30 or 40% out on any one day. Uh, and that would have happened anyway. I think by 2024, 2025, we'd have been there. And you've basically concertinaed it and brought it forward. And there's loads of things around COVID that have happened there. For example, uh, we sponsor the Old Vic Theatre. And I sat with the board of the Old Vic and the director of the Old Vic last night, Matthew Waters, talking about the challenges and the learnings from COVID. The Old Vic has run virtual performances and uh, they said 73 different countries access that virtual performance. And the Old Vic has been around for 200 years in London near Waterloo Station. You know, the fact that 73 countries are accessing an Old Vic performance is a change. So when we go back to going to live theatre again, which I'm sure we will during the course of 2021, how are they going to capture that value for the benefit of the old bit going forward? So I think there's a lot of learnings there, not just for a professional services firm, but for the arts and everything else that's important to wider society to get the learnings from COVID that have kind of been forced upon us by this massive societal change. So I think that, and then in addition to that, and the digital transformation, you know, the old Vic didn't really have a digital way of capturing audiences. They did something with the National Theatre every now and again when the National Theatre brought cameras in and then stuck the production on the cinema. But this is them doing it. This is them having, they're going to produce Christmas Carol with kind of ghosts and special effects. And they're going to do that virtually. So there's a whole new stream of business for so many businesses coming out of this. But it all requires digital investment. All requires that transformation for the fourth industrial revolution that's already happening. But it will change society. I mean, just take a bank. You know, I heard uh, one of the major clearing banks saying that they had customer engagement online, about 100 meetings a week across the country. That's now in the thousands because people weren't feeling safe coming into the bank. You imagine how that changes their cost base in terms of the number of branches they need, how many meetings a member of staff can do with no journey time. 
you know, once you get staff comfortable with that, the shift to online banking has gone up. I think they've kind of brought it forward by 10 years because of COVID, because people had to. So I think there's been a lot of positive learnings as well as obviously the human costs and the uh, fiscal costs to countries and people. There have been some learnings as well that now I think all businesses are trying to capture. Mm -hmm. As I touched upon in, in the introduction, your career has spanned a very long time and has survived many crashes. So what advice would you give in terms of building this resilience into your career? I can see resilience in two angles. Firstly, I think when I became a partner in this organization, a lot of the partners that I joined in partnership were probably working for similar clients, doing similar things that they'd done for the last 10 years. That won't be the case in the future. The world's moving too fast, not just the pandemic, the fourth industrial revolution, digitization. So I think the important thing in business is to be agile, flexible, and we're all lifetime learners now. So you can't acquire knowledge, go to work, retire. This is all about lifetime learning. And my strong advice is whatever, whatever career you want to have, it won't be a career for life. And you've got to make sure you choose organizations that give you the skills you'll need whenever you decide to either reboot, change industry, change specialism, or change within that organization. So it's that lifetime learning is, I suspect, really important in career or employer choice. Second point you make is resilience. I think we've learned a lot. And I, last night at this dinner, a psychiatrist was talking about this very point. In the last 10 years, there's more understanding about the fact that although it's known that one in four people will struggle with mental health in this country, four in four people will live their lives under more intense pressure. And therefore, building resilience into all of our operating, personal operating models is absolutely critical. That's a massive change in learning of the last 10 years. So I think resilience comes in two forms. For all of us, we've got to make sure we have the mental health resilience to withstand the challenges of life, more so than ever before, partly social media, partly the speed, partly the change, partly the fear. And at the same time, we've got to make sure we've got the resilience to adapt our careers and adapt our learning model as the world changes around us, because the chance of it staying static to fit with your career have gone. And, and to, to touch upon what you said about um, the world moving too fast nowadays and that, you know, there's rapid digitization. Um, do you feel like management consultancy is, is becoming commoditized? Um, I guess, you know, reading uh, online articles, this is a topic that comes up quite a lot about, um, you know, management consultancies becoming commodified as the industry grows and um, as it becomes more competitive. So is this a trend that you have seen materialize? And, and would you say that management consultancies are, are fighting back through devoting more resources to, say, uh, technology or risk and, and um, regulation, which have been two of the, the biggest growing um, I guess, divisions of, of the consultancy space. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So management consultancy covers a, is a kind of umbrella term for so many different roles, right? Mm -hmm. And whether you're running a small business or a large business, you're always going to want the insights and the support and sometimes the execution capability of someone that's done it before. Because the one thing you don't know is what you don't know. Yeah? So there will always be a role for buying in that advice. And that's largely what the management consultant group will do. They'll give you that advice either on the strategy in terms of what they've seen happen to businesses like yours in the same circumstances, or the about execution, how you will bring this new technology or transformation or cost out model 
effectively to your business and again how they can help you execute it so i think it's hard to commoditize that but mm -hmm. at the end of the day as a professional services firm like like we are uh, what we're really dealing in is a trust in our reputation the trust that what we say we can do we can do and we can do that through having the right people because we're an attractive place to work and we can retain them the right people we've got the right skills because we've trained our people to have those skills and probably more importantly with 26,000 clients we've seen enough to be able to bring the insights that we've seen elsewhere to other clients okay um, I, I think we're we're running out of time so I just like to to open the floor um, to you and and ask you if there is anything you'd like to say about about PwC um, some maybe closing career advice for for our students at the LSE Oh, thank you very much. No, it's great to see you. Uh, I hope that was helpful. I think, look, in closing, I'd say, I think this is an amazing time to start your career. I think there's so much change going on. Uh, I think people need a lifetime learning opportunity. You know, what you'll be dealing with in your careers uh, will be much faster, more exciting, and more engaging. And I think the most important thing is that, as I say, a bit like leaders, you know, we deal in hope. I think if I start my career, you know, be constantly optimistic constantly positive and and take risks take a chance at this stage in your life there's never a better chance to take a chance and take an opportunity and learn from it uh, this is a great time to be learning it's a great time to be starting your career and you'll always hear the negatives because you do all your career i have all my career heard why there's gonna be no jobs tomorrow for everybody um, but there there are and there sometimes takes some finding but there are huge great organizations to learn from and people to learn alongside okay thank you very much Brilliant. Nice to see you. Cheers. Nice to see you too. Bye -bye.